Good morning. I want to add a little bit to the men's, the king's men tomorrow night. It is Bible intake, uh, memorizing, meditating, and applying the Bible. Uh, I do a lot of memorizing, so I'm going to probably talk very much about what we're going to be focused on is meditation. And the reason being, my friend, uh, our friend Rob Dingman, who's been a pastor, Calvary Chapel pastor in England for about 30 years now, even maybe almost 40, isn't that not, not that long? Well, he's been there a long time. He wrote a book, and it, that book was about 20, 20 years or so in the making. It's, it, it's, uh, do we have a picture of that? Yeah, the Connect book. And it's on meditation. It's an expedition of Psalm 1, but how to meditate biblically. So I called him. We had a Zoom meeting and just talked. And it was fantastic. He has so, such an insight in this whole area of meditating. So you guys, if you can come out tomorrow night, please do it. It was an hour, 6.30 to 7.30. We're going to focus our time with Rob and a live Zoom with him from England. It'll be 6.30 our time and 2.30 in the morning his time. So he might have his eyes closed and just meditating. I'm not sure. But <laughs> please do that. Please come out. Also, our prayer bowls are up here as long, and our trumpet bowl. If you have a prayer request, please, sometime during the service after, fill one out, put it in the bowl that we prayed for at least once a month personally, individually, and then our trumpet bowl is for those answers that you've had to prayer. We're getting a few of those. I'd love to see more. So how is the Lord answering your prayers? What's he done to, to uh, you know, bless you in that way? Uh, he doesn't answer. I always say that the, the problem with prayer is timing, but it's not a problem for God. God created time, therefore time is on our side. And so however long God's going to take, sometimes the answers seem to take forever. But know this, God hears our prayers. And the more that we pray, my house should be called a house of prayer. The more that we give ourselves, Calvary Chapel South has been founded on a prayer meeting. Once We were just talking about this yesterday in our hour of prayer. Since we started, one hour of prayer. And it's, it's just, I believe, the, the uh, powerhouse of what the Lord does in all things is prayer. So please, if you can in, uh, drop prayers in, that, in the bowl. Uh, on Saturday from 8 to 9, we have our hour of prayer. You're welcome to come to that. We read a chapter in the Bible, and then we pray together. So with that, would you stand? We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, the gospel. Why are you so fearful? I want to talk about that this morning with you together. Why are you so fearful? Where is your faith? Well, Jesus is addressing that in this first miracle that we're reading in Mark 4. So I'm in verse 35 of Mark chapter 4, he says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats also were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling but he was in the stern, the back part, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? I'd like to do a responsive reading from Psalm 46, great psalm that goes along with this whole, what we're going to look at a little bit this morning. In Psalm 46, God is our refuge. If you do this, I'll do the first and even, if you would do the second and odd, I'll do the first and odd. I could do both. Okay, you get it. God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. Though its waters roar and be troubled, 
Though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah, which means think about that. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Would you say this with me, blessed one? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And Lord, we are thankful for that. You are our refuge and strength, a present time, in, a present help in trouble. And Lord, we know the troubles that come with living on, in a fallen world, with our own problems, our own sinful tendencies. We know the troubles that are going on throughout this world, things we're looking at and seeing today like we never thought we'd see such trouble. And yet, Lord, you are our refuge, our strength, and our help. And so we look to you as you give to us your word, as you speak to us through your word. I ask the things I prepared, you would break them fresh and feed us. We are hungry to know you and walk with you, serve you, be pleasing to you, to do your will, that you would be glorified. So give us ears to hear. Give us, Lord, understanding and bring your word to bear in the things that are going on right now, today, in our lives. Please, bless these things now in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. Thank you for that amen back there. <laughs> As we continue considering the snapshots of the Savior, which is kind of the banner over this whole uh, study in Mark, Mark records some of the many miracles that Jesus did. Our text this morning is Jesus' miraculous power over nature, specifically the wind and the sea. In Mark 5, his miraculous power over demons, his miraculous power over disease, his miraculous power over death. So we will add to our biblical understanding in each of these studies as far as these miracles. Why are they there? Why are they given? What are the purpose of them? And what can we learn as we're going through these things? We're going to be adding understanding as we go through these different miracles that Jesus gave to us. A miracle is God's means of communicating through supernatural signs. Jesus pointed to two things that left no doubt as to who he is and by what he is doing. And so he says to the, his disciples, as Philip said to him in John chapter 14, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father that's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me? Philip? He who has seen me, radical statements. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father or the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Two things, his words and his works. They authenticate who he is clearly. In fact, to his enemies, Jesus said this in John 15. If I had not come and spoken to them, his word, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. 
If I had not done among them the works, which no one else did, miracles, they would have no sin, but now they have, no, they have, also, they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. By his supernatural works, God has authenticated and verified that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God come in the flesh. He is the one and only promised and prophesied Savior of the world. And everyone said, Amen. He spoke with the authority. He is the Word of God become flesh. And the works that he did were clearly evident of who he is. So God in his infinite wisdom and boundless mercy left no doubt. There is no wiggle room. There is no room for excuse. There is no reason for anyone to hate Jesus. In fact, when Peter, in obedience to God, went to Cornelius' house and God was bridging the gap now to the Gentiles with the gospel, he arrives and he said in Acts chapter 10, Peter said, in truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. Then he says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Why would you hate Jesus? That's his life. And to hate God, but that's the problem. Not that Jesus is a problem or God. The problem is it's clear, and yet people refuse to turn to the truth. They hate God. So these miracles are God giving to us all the evidence, powerful evidence, of who Jesus is. The greatest miracle of all was he rose from the dead. Amen? We just celebrated it. Clearly this, the final authentication of who he is. Praise the Lord. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. A miracle is a special act of God that interrupts the normal course of events. Atheist, atheist, Anthony, Anthony Flew put it well. A miracle is something which would never happen had nature, as it were, been left to its own desire. That's an atheist. In other words, miracles are unusual. They're unique. They're easily recognizable for what they are. They're a miracle. Even skeptics... By demanding a sign from God, implicitly admitting that miracles would prove his existence. A miracle is the act of God to confirm the word of God through a messenger of God. Let me read that again. A miracle is the act of God to confirm the word of God through a messenger of God. And so Jesus is the miraculous incarnation of God himself. Praise the Lord. He's the miraculous intervention of God to save us from our sin by all three. The act of God, the word of God, and the messenger of God. His name is Jesus. Any doubt as to who Jesus really is, is wonderfully removed when a person takes an honest look at the miraculous, working, wonder-working power of the Son of God. His name is Jesus. It's recorded by many eyewitnesses. 
It's, pres- it's preserved for us in God's supernatural word that we're in this morning. Now, this is what I would begin with. To you who do not believe, would you please take a closer look at Jesus? He's God's son. Would you please do a closer listening to God's word? Would you consider again the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? He loves you. He died for you. He will forgive you of all your sins and reconcile you back to God whom you have offended by your sin. That's our Jesus. That's the good news. Now, to we who do believe, we've come to know who Jesus really is. We've banked our life on him. It seems to me that the more consequential rebuke is not of the wind and the sea, but of the disciples who are in the boat with Jesus to whom he said, Where, why are you so fear, fearful? Where is, how is it you have no faith in the storm? I took that to heart myself. I hope this morning we all will, who are believers. Why are you so fearful? Now, I could tell you, I could give you a list right now that I could take another 45 minutes to tell you why. There are a lot of things in the world right now that are fearful as we look at them. But listen, we're in the boat with Jesus. They may be storms coming, but we're in with Jesus. So why am I so fearful? And I think all of us, to one degree or another, most of us to a higher level than normal through what we've gone through in the last two or three years, we understand this driving power that fear can take captive, can take us captive too. How is it you have no faith? And so as we look at this, the gospel, why are you so fearful? On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. It's been a busy day, and they are tired. Jesus is tired. It says in verse 36, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, I believe, tired. And other little boats were also with him. They want to be where Jesus is. Good, good, good uh, thing to be. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. So it's getting a little bit um, like... Uh, We better do something here. A great windstorm, common occurrence, and it was always more dangerous in the evening hours. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by three to 4,000 foot high mountains on three sides, west, north, and east. The wind comes whipping down the valley and across the lake, which is three and a half by eight miles, unhindered. So the windstorm or the whirlwind, or you might say a hurricane proportions. You ever been in a hurricane? I've never been in one, but I've seen them. That's what's going on. Very dangerous. Now, notice verse 38. But he was in the stern, the back of the boat, asleep on a pillow. (laughs) I think that's good. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And they woke him and said, teacher, don't you, do you not care we're perishing? Don't you get it? Understand what's, you're sleeping? 
In his humanity, he slept. Why? Because he was totally wiped out. Been a long day. And yet, he's still at peace. This is the only place in the Bible where we read of Jesus sleeping. Several times we read of him staying awake all night and praying, and we go, how did he do that? (laughs) But obviously, Jesus had need of sleep. Ironically, the one time you would think he would not be asleep, there he is in the back of the boat, sound asleep. Just thinking, you know, when we're in the midst of storms in our lives, it seems like the last thing that happens is we actually sleep. So verse 3, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Wouldn't you have loved to have been on that boat? At least when that happened. So with authority, he spoke. The word rebuked means, it means in Greek, be silent, be muzzled, and remain so. It's a technical term, also used in Mark 125, that speaks of dispossessing a demon. It's the same language used of casting out a demon. So evidently, it seems, it suggests anyway, that Jesus recognized demonic powers were present. And I believe that's exactly what was going on because the devil was doing everything he could to take Jesus out. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? He's answering their question. Teacher, don't you care that we perish? Now, we have to give them credit. At least they knew who that they should go to for help. I think we can give ourselves a little credit there. When things are going really bad, who do we run to? They ran to Jesus in the boat. Notice verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? Now, they could give you his name, but they're beginning to discover more and more of who Jesus is. That even the wind and sea obey him. The disciples, they feared exceedingly. The modern day vernacular might be they freaked out. They were stunned by what Jesus just did, this miracle. Mind-boggling to them, and it would be to us also. They were afraid of the storm, but they were exceedingly terrified of Jesus. Who can this be? Who's in the boat with us here? More terrifying than the storm was the one who controlled the storm. It's what happened when Peter was out fishing with his, with his friends. Jesus said, hey, just cast the net on the right side of the boat. Well, we've been here all night, but we'll do what you said. I'll do it. And the net's jam-packed. They're hauling into the boat. The boat starts to sink. What did, Jesus, what did Peter do? He said, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He realized in the presence of someone that he had no worthiness to be in the presence of. Depart from me. Same idea. Same response. 
Who can this be? I'll tell you, it's God. It's the Son of God. It's God come in the flesh. That's who he is. Who can be? That's who he is, not can be. He is. He's the creator and the controller of the wind and the sea. Wouldn't you love to have been in the boat? I'll ask you that a few times. As they're watching this thing and realizing something here that is so incredibly miraculous and powerful. Who can this be? It's God. It's the Son of God. It's who he's been telling you is all the way along. But now you're seeing even more of who he is in the storm, through the storm. Yeah, yeah, but hold on a second. He's God. Yeah, hold on a second. Now, I find myself when the storms are going and I'm in awe, there's still that, that sense that, yeah, but. It's not quite enough. It's, some, it's something, I don't know how all that stuff works, but yeah, but, and I want, there's something else I'm looking for. And there's God in the midst of the storm. There's Jesus there. He said, that's who I am. I'm God. Why are you so fearful? How is you have so little faith if it's God at the helm? If it's God who is creator, if it's God who is controller, it's God, if it's God. Why are you so fearful? You see, faith, fear negates faith. Fear of the unknown. Fear of something that's more powerful, or so seemingly so. Fearful of something stronger than you, badder, getting worse. And fear has a way of taking over. I believe the most common and most debilitating fear is the fear of man. Proverbs tells the fear of man is a snare. The devil will use that. He uses on me all the time. But, but he who trusts the Lord will be what? Safe. Interesting. Safe. At the depth of the Great Depression, President Franklin D. Roosevelt encouraged our great nation with these words. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Fears are educated into us and can, if we wish, be educated out, unquote. Here's the scripture that nails it. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Who is perfect love? God. Fear involves torment. God is not a tormentor. He's a savior. But he who fears has not been made complete in love. God is completing our lives. How? In his love. I love what Paul wrote to the Romans after he gets through those eight chapters. He's f finishing off that eighth chapter, which is one of the most incredible chapters in all the Bible. He said this, I am persuaded. I'm persuaded. That neither life, well, first says, he had in all things more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Would you say amen? That, my friends, is the reprogramming of our hearts in knowing who God is. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no little, such little faith? Our faith will be tested. It pro- to prove it, to strengthen it, to refine it, to grow it, so it will stand strong when the storms come. It will stand strong against all odds. Look in the Old Testament for those great stories where there's, the odds are completely stacked against a David, a Gideon. And on and on it goes, where God puts his people in places where if, if God doesn't do it, we're, we're sunk. But God does it. So we would, he tests our faith. And David had his testings in the back, in the back 40 with the sheep. So when he comes to fight God, well, he, he, let me tell you, King Saul, he, he's coming with a sword. I'm going to go to him in the name of God. He's defied the armies of the living God. And I'm going out after him, and I'm going to take him out. And he took him out with a sling and a stone. See, and that story resonates so much in our lives from the earliest ages. That he was with us. God is greater than anything that might come against us. Anything and all things. Many people have the idea that storms come into their lives only when they disobey God. That is not true. Plain and simple. God allows testings to come to prove us, strengthen us, purify our faith in him. Jonah ended up in a storm because of his disobedience. But the disciples wound up in a storm because of their obedience in following Jesus. Now, were this Jonah, Jesus might have said to him, let us cross under to the other side. The disciples said, let us cross over to the other side. In, it is through the storms that we go deeper in knowing God. In knowing Jesus. Have you found that to be true? Absolutely, unequivocally. For every believer in this room, that is true. Throughout Mark's gospels, gospel, Disciple, as well as the others, keep coming to a new, deeper knowledge of who Jesus is, in this case, through the storms. In fact, when you look at these stories, it's in the context of crisis where God's deepening their faith in Him. We keep meeting Jesus in new ways as we meet Him in new crisis. The blind man saw Jesus when his blindness brought him to Jesus. The deaf man heard Jesus when his deafness brought him to Jesus. The lame man leaped and praised God when his infirmity brought Jesus to his side. The grieving widow met Jesus when her son's funeral crossed the path of Jesus. Sinful Mary, 
her life all but destroyed by sin, brought her to the feet of Jesus, where she found forgiveness and freedom. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Thomas's doubts and questions brought the appearance of the risen Jesus Christ, and he fell down and said, my Lord and my God. God can do whatever he wills, but God did not calm the storm for Job. The storm took everything. I mean, we're talking everything. Many godly saints have weathered storms greater than any of us could even imagine. We want depth with God. We want what they have. And yet, how did they actually experience it and know that? God did not calm the storm for, Saul, for Paul the Apostle. He was caught in a couple of those. Paul was a man of great faith. Yet he was shipwrecked three times, beaten with rods. And he goes on and on. You want Paul's faith? You want Paul's depth? Disciples on this occasion had little faith. So the calming or not of a storm does not necessarily depend on faith, but on God who allows it. To test our faith and fortify our faith. God strengthened Paul to endure the storm in quiet faith. Sometimes God saves us from trouble. Sometimes he saves us through trouble. Sometimes he saves us from tribulation. Sometimes he saves us through tribulation. Many times he saves us from death. I should be dead a few times over the way I used to live. So some, many times he saves us from death, but he always saves us when we die in death. Praise the Lord for that. Now, we'll have no option but to trust him when we're on our deathbeds. There is no option at that point. If that is the case, and most certainly it is, then we have this option now of trusting him in life, of trusting him with our lives, of trusting him where we're living now in this life. Steve Jobs, you all know the name. He died in 2011. He got cancer. He tried to treat it with, uh, what do you call that? I was going to say neuropathy, but that's what I have on my feet. But, uh, naturopath, there it is. Tried all these kinds of things. He doesn't know the Lord. I don't believe he went to his deathbed knowing the Lord. But he wrote this. He said this. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important, unquote. What is it that is truly important? You know it, I know it. It's that you're saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
that you know him now. It's appointed unto men to die once, and then the judgment. On your deathbed is, is not too late. The thief on the cross, it was not too late. But now, today, is the day of salvation. And that's the urgency of the gospel with our family and our friends. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. We can trust Jesus no matter how massive the difficulty we face. We can trust Jesus no matter how overwhelming the circumstances are. He will take us through it. He will get us to the other side. Listen, he cares. The storms come. A financial setback. A relationship you can't repair. A deadline you can't meet. A previous two-year-old daughter starts having seizures. A precious two-year-old daughter starts having seizures. The notice comes and you no longer have a job. A sudden stroke leaves you incapacitated. Fear leaves you paranoid and unable to think clearly. A lump is biopsied is cancer. A husband leaves for work in the morning. And a little later, the wife is visited by the police chaplain who informs her that her husband has just died in a traffic accident. See, these are real storms. These are, these are real storms. The water's already in the boat. I'm going down. A drug addiction captures and slaves and sends a teenage son to prison. A teenage daughter is pregnant. Suicide. The variety and severity of storms are endless. So often the result is the same. There's a preoccupation with the wise. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. But we, know our, we need to be occupied on Christ on Jesus. We can cry out to him, Lord, don't you care that we perish? He stood still, the storm. He still stood the wind. Then he asked the question. There's a paralysis that comes with fear. Manifests itself in stress and anxiety. Grief. Why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? I don't know how it is, Lord, but I wish you'd correct it. Work deeper. You see, there are three miraculous reasons we need not fear. Now, we are going to be disturbed 
but we don't want that to go past the initial surprise, the initial awareness. Jesus said they were going to the other side. That's what he said. Listen, he is faithful. He's faithful. Maybe there's something coming up that you're not aware of, but here it is. He is faithful. Maybe you're in the midst of it. He is faithful. Secondly, Jesus is with them, so there is nothing to fear. He is able. And he will keep us and watch over us and strengthen us and help us in our time of need. Jesus did not get out of the boat. He walked across the water and got in the boat one time. He said, well, hold on a second. I'm I'm out of here. (laughs) He's in that boat with them. He's in that boat with you. He is faithful and he is able. Listen, here's the final one. Jesus was at perfect peace. How do you do that? (laughs) You do that when you know God. He is God. He is our peace. He is faithful, he is able, and he is our peace. We must keep our eyes on him, the captain of our ship, the pilot of the boat. He was in the stern asleep on a pillow. They awoke him and said, don't you care? Did you? Jesus cares. Apart from, the, from all the emotions of things as they come along, the disciples only momentarily just questioned that. Do you care? It wasn't Jesus being tested. It was them. We must guard our hearts from unbelief. And I believe the best way to do that is to speak the word of God. The faith comes in hearing by the word of God. So Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And speak the word of God into our hearts, into our lives. We're talking about this this tomorrow night, memorizing, powerful. Because God's word is living and powerful. And when that's intake and we begin to minister, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. We must guard our hearts from unbelief and doubt by speaking the word into our lives. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 56. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust. I will trust and not be afraid. It goes both ways. So may I remind you, dear brother, dear sister, this morning, the storms never take God by surprise in your life. Ever. Now, he is faithful. He is able. He is your peace. No one else can do that. These things I have spoken to you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Are you not thankful for the Prince of Peace who grants us peace? God never says, I didn't see that one coming. We say it all the time. But let us not 
It does not mean that God doesn't love you, God doesn't care about you. It doesn't mean God's angry with you, that God's somehow upset with you, that God's giving up on you. Well, you've done that just one too many times, so you know what? I think I'm done with you, uh, Kevin. You're out. Oh, the everlasting arms are always underneath. Whatever depth I might go, underneath are the everlasting arms for you and for me. He is faithful, he is able, he is our peace. Jesus recognized demonic powers. We must also be intently understanding we are in a spiritual battle. So Peter wrote, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. This morning, I hope as you're leaving, or before we leave as we're singing, cast your cares upon him he cares for you. What is it that's going on? What are the storms? What's, what's hitting the, the, the helm this morning? Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I will tell you, Jesus removed all his teeth. He's a toothless lion. He might make a lot of noise, but he's toothless. Resist him steadfast, what? The faith. Knowing that the same suffering are experienced by you, you're not alone. But may the God of grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And everyone said, amen. Our responsive reading, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Think on that. He's your refuge. Be still and know that I am God. That actually came up in our prayer meeting yesterday, this verse. I said, that's got to be, that's, that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted. In other words, he wins. We follow. The Lord of hosts is with, is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Do you know, you talk about a life that had storms. Jacob was the one that had them. At one point in his life, after so many things had happened to him, he says, all things are against me. As he has to send little Benjamin down to Egypt. All things are against me. And he didn't know, but right around the corner, there he's going to meet Joseph, who he thinks is dead. He goes deeper with God. And he was a man of great trial and testings. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. Over life's tempestuous sea. Can I have the worship team come out? Unknown ways before me roll, hiding rocks and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass come from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. As mother stills her child, thou canst hush the ocean wild. Boisterous waves obey thy will when thou sayest to them, be still. Wondrous sovereign of the sea, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. When at last I near the shore and the fearful breakers roar, twixt me and the peaceful rest, then while leaning on thy breast, may I hear thee say to me, fear not, I will pilot thee. Would you stand with me as let's just offer our lives afresh to God this morning. And as we're singing this song, because he lives, right?
as we're singing this song. I'm going to just, maybe it's an encouragement, maybe it's an exhortation. The things that are, that right now have got you wondering, the storms that are hitting your life right now, unload them, cast your cares as we're singing this song, because he lives. If he's dead, we're all sunk. <laughs> because he did, we just celebrated that last Sunday. Can we do that together in worship through this song, and then I'll come and close.